Some players are more injury prone than others. I think I wrote an article about it, but like Gronk is super prone to injury just because of the way his bones are angled. That makes sense because the way he's built is like a malformed human being. <laughs> and I don't mean that in an like... Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Play Like a Girl. Today, we will be talking about, of course, Haley's columns. We have a fun hot take. Haley, do you want to talk about the In My Defense column that came out two Two weeks weeks ago? ago. So two weeks ago was about Larry Nasser, who is a doctor at Michigan State University and also was the team doctor for the U.S. gymnastics team at a couple Olympics. So basically... He's being tried for, like, a sexual assault of over 100 women, most of whom were minors at the time. I think the youngest was 6, and the oldest was 30. Basically, um, I talked about how people reported his assaults, like, many times, but no one ever believed them, basically, so he was never prosecuted for it until recently, and it's been going on for over 20 years. The first instance of, like, it being reported was of 20 years ago. Basically talking about how a lot of people were responsible and not just him because they actively covered up his uh, crimes. But there was a plea bargain recently, so it got rid of like 10% of the cases that were being brought up against him. It might have been 15. I can't remember. It was 10 or 15. I just read it. Yeah. But there was a significant amount whose cases were still being prosecuted, but some of the most major um, people involved their cases are no longer being prosecuted like the olympic gymnasts because it didn't happen in the united states or something yeah it sounds pretty bad my first thought when reading it was how many times am i gonna have to read this story because i feel like this happens a lot where (laughs) there's at least one person who's complicit in this happening especially in the athletic world a lot of people have compared it to jerry sandusky he was at penn state and a lot of people in the administration actually knew about it. And when it was ported to them by, like, I think it was a graduate student who, like, walked in on, like, him abusing, like, a minor, they were basically like, yeah, whatever, and brushed it aside. And then claimed that they had never gotten any complaints when he was, it was actually um, eventually investigated. So that looked really bad for them when people found out about that uh, complaint. In one of the articles that I linked to in my article... They have just a list of, like, a bunch of times that people reported it and nothing came out of it. Going off that, you said when a gymnast notified their coach and they said, well, we know him and he wouldn't do something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, that was the MSU gymnastics coach. Which is, like, the exact logic people use when, like, a rape occurs on people the same age, too. Like, even, like, that's a common thing I know. Like, in the Greek system, if some if a girl is assaulted and she tells, like, this has happened to people I know, and she tells her sorority sisters or someone else, they were like, oh, but he's so nice. Like, he would never do that. But that's not the case a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, because even with this whole uh, Mayor Murray situation, I don't even know what to call it. There was a big article that came out from, I think, the stranger that said, like, literally 5 to 7% 
of all like sexual assaults like accusation yeah accusations are false yeah people very rarely make stuff like this up but whenever anyone would come to someone about Nasser, the people were like, you're making it up. And this happened dozens of times. But since no one had done anything about it or was, like, trying to keep it quiet, no one else knew that this wasn't, like, an isolated thing. And so they were just like, oh, just ignore it. And this kept happening. And it allowed Nasser to get away with it for, like, years and years. Do you think that... I don't know, I guess it's interesting, or not interesting, but, like, for the younger girls, like you said, the youngest one was six years old. Like, do you think she knew, or do you think, like, she had to go to her parents? Because I remember reading an article, like, a couple years back, and it was it was just, like, not an expose, but it was, a t- like, 20 girl stories of them being sexually assaulted, and it was also, like, their coach, and she didn't know until she went to her, like, parents and talked about it. I think the six-year-old, in specifically, actually did tell her parents and um, she was a family friend, and so they confronted him, and he was like, no, that didn't happen. And they made her, like, say, like, oh, no, I was making that up. But I don't know, you know, how a six-year-old would know something like that. It is interesting, though, that there's such a wide age age range, because usually, I thought usually abusers have, like, a very specific— usually if you are a pedophile, you are not also attracted to older women i i mean maybe i'm wrong in that it could be too though like like gymnasts are like notoriously like pretty small and like um, yeah you're right i didn't I think guess about underdeveloped that. i don't know yeah, what the right word for that there was this really cre- creepy quote about he was fa- how he was fascinated with the gymnast body that he like gave in an interview a couple years back where he was talking about why he was so interested in like athletic training for gymnastics I remember the one that I read, it was, like, when um, he would stretch them out or, like, do all those exercises, that's when it, like, occurred because people would be like, oh, like, I'm not hurting there, and he'd be like, no, you still need to do it. One of the examples in this was, I think, a softball player, and she had a lower back injury, and he was, like, sticking his fingers up her, and she told an athletic trainer about it, and they were like, he knows what he's doing, that's what he's supposed to be doing. And I think... It might have been her or it might have been another girl said, like, I didn't realize until years later, like, what exactly what it was. Do you think there should be more training for young athletes about like treatment of their injuries or treatment of their body so that when things like this happen, they would understand that's not normal? Because if a doctor is telling you that and you're young, I mean, you might think that that's normal and that's what's supposed to happen because... You know, sometimes, like, when they are massaging you, it's, like, close to areas that are, like, like that is correct. And then there are other times where it crosses a line. So I wonder if, if putting young athletes, especially young elite athletes, through some sort of education process would help. Yeah, I think it's really important to make athletes more aware. Um, my sister was a coach with USA Gymnastics, and she says, like, they give coaches training on, like, what it's okay and what's not okay but she said like if you're like a well-known coach already then they don't do that it's only if you're like coming in as a coach and then also she said basically it teaches you how to get away with it Mm. because you know how to like hide the risk behaviors and stuff but i feel like it also is the fact that he could be like an authority figure Mm. or like oh well he knows like he's training me so who am i to question like what he's saying i think that also is probably a problem and he was very well established and a lot of people when they were trained 
um, were told, like, oh, he's an Olympic doctor. You're lucky to have him treating you. And he was, like, very good at his job. He knows what he's doing. And so that was used against the people he assaulted. But I feel like they should still, I mean, I know he's respected, but, and I know you're innocent until proven guilty, but you should still, I guess, almost assume for the worst or still, even for the safety of that child, isn't it worth, like, checking up on it and not just assuming that everything's going to be okay? Yeah, I think safety is more important than, like, how more respected he is. Because, like, if he is innocent, then, like, that's going to be proven. But it's more important to, like, do an inquiry rather than just say, like, he's innocent just because he's respected. So, uh, late arrival column that came out today. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was my fault. <laughs> rising costs makes Josh Kirschenbaum. <laughs> that was my fault, not Josh's. <laughs> rising costs make sports less accessible to fans. Haley, please mm-hmm. explain. So, I started by talking about salaries, and um, if you watch any sports, uh, men's sports, you've probably noticed that salaries are going up by quite a lot. Ridiculous. Um, I guess Susanna can probably speak to that because she's a Warriors fan. Oh, the most ridiculous. I fully acknowledge. Salaries are going up, salary caps are going up, but they're going up at a much higher rate than, like, inflation. And also, like, wages and stuff that isn't sports aren't going up. This is something I noticed, like, and also I think it's just a documented thing. Like, tickets are getting more expensive. In general, like, sports merchandise is really expensive. Like, hockey jerseys are, like, 180 bucks. Yeah, I have um, to buy a kid-size NFL jersey. Yeah, I have a kid-size, like, uh, what is it, an Earthquake shirt. Mm-hmm. Even that yeah. was expensive. The kid-size ones, uh, hockey jerseys, are 120 I don't. I don't buy either. I'm not spending $100. On a jersey. Um, this are you wearing a Mariners no, jersey right now? <laughs> this is my parents. <laughs> um, rising costs in sports will make it inaccessible to fans, especially to low-income fans, which is like driving out low-income people. And it's like sports are like a pretty uniting factor in our country. And I think that they're like one thing that we can like remember is like sports are usually still good when things are bad. And so I think it's really important to have sports and making them inaccessible is just another way that income inequality is hurting our country. Well, uh, first things first, let's talk about the uh, money that professional male athletes make and that they're called selfish and greedy for like switching teams and wanting to make more money and stuff like that. Can we talk about that for a second? Yeah, I I understand why people would call them that, but I also feel like they're asking for it because they know they can get it. Mm-hmm. It's like people are going to, owners are going to give them that much money. So, like, I feel like if you knew you could make that much money, why wouldn't you ask for it? Yeah, I mean, some of these, some of these, some of the players have kids. They could basically set their kids up for their entire life if they wanted to. And like having that, yeah, and having that security is nice. I think you could probably still do that with a lower salary. Just oh yeah, you definitely could. Yeah, it's nice to. If someone offered me more money, I wouldn't say no. So like I understand why they're going for that because they know that they're going to get it. Well, they said in the article that the NBA like the rookies get like just shy of a million. Even the rookies, like I think that is sufficient enough. And it goes up every year. It goes yeah. up by fifteen thousand every year. So it's eight sixty five right now, but next year it's gonna be more and then more. 
just uh, throwing it out there, the rookies make more than the women do. So I'm just gonna. They yeah, add a lot more. Yeah, you said the salary cap for the WNBA is 95k, right? That's the the highest paid player makes 95k. I was gonna say I just listened to this comedian Pete Holmes has a podcast called You Made It Weird, and he has a lot of different guests on, and sometimes he has athletes. And he had J.J. Redick on a couple weeks ago, and that, it was a really interesting episode. They talk about a lot of stuff. It's not a very structured podcast, so it's basically just them having a conversation. But he talks a little bit about um, making that much money out of college and also how finances are kind of awkward for players because their family, like, it's very public how much they make. And so all of their family members know how much they make, and so there's, like, a pressure to give a lot of it away, especially for players that didn't grow up with a lot of money. Like Steph Curry's father played in the NBA, so I don't think they ever really had issues with money. But someone like Kevin Durant and his mom and his family, players, yeah. yeah, and a lot of players, and that to be able to give their parents like a very comfortable life, mm -hmm. I think it means a lot to them. That doesn't happen in hockey because you have to be rich and white to get into the sport anyway. <laughs> I mean, a lot of a lot of players establish like foundations and that's donate. Cool. I like it. when they do that. Yeah, I think that's a good thing to do. I, I mean, that's usually players after they retire. Although I think some active ones have yeah. them too. PK Subban donated ten million dollars to a children's hospital in Montreal, even though he makes seven million dollars a year, and then he got traded. Oh, yeah. I I think actually I actually think Kevin Durant has his own like foundation yeah, he like sure installs he basketball courts in low income area i'm pretty sure yep, 100%. so a lot of them do stuff like that but again it is a ridiculous amount of money and you're right this article is something that really fr like you hit on something that has always really frustrated me about sports is that they're supposed to be this great equalizer like anyone can put in the work and be good to some degree to a certain degree obviously there are some genetic factors that make you a lot better. Like Michael Phelps's feet. Yeah, exactly. Or his wingspan. It, it hit on something I really don't like about professional sports um, is that they're supposed to be this great equalizer. And I've seen it in with the, with the team I root for. Like the Warriors was Oakland's team. And Oakland historically was not the highest income area. It's gotten like increasingly so over the years because of Silicon Valley's growth. But you know, it's it's a different demographic of people, and it's the same thing with the Raiders. And when, like, these teams start to get better or even just, like, the entire league. And then you even see it with teams who just up and leave their fan base for a more wealthy area. Yeah, I mean, now the Warriors are going to, like, San Francisco, yeah, right? the which is a the lot new, more expensive. Yeah, the new Warriors stadium is going to be right next to AT&T Park, which is gonna make traffic a mess but also it's just you're taking that away from a community and that doesn't seem right like the rams yeah and it like the like the raiders who are going to las vegas uh, that i just just i don't understand why you would do that do you think that's why it's so important that college kids aren't allowed to i mean make the money Maybe because maybe college, college sports would turn into the same thing. It would be like college. I mean, even now the tickets for the tickets for UW like to get the dog pack tickets for the football games and the basketball games is over a hundred dollars, mm -hmm. and some students can't afford that. And that's, I mean, granted the rest of the sports are free, but football and basketball, mm -hmm. that's like let's say how many home games are there for football a year? Like six, seven. 
You're very no, like, and then there's more basketball games, but also the team. No is one not wants as to good. go see you at a basketball. <laughs> I mean, you never know. This year could be their break, breakthrough. <laughs> they could make some magic happen. I won't be here so long. So. I mean, students already have to take out loans to even attend university, and then you're going to make them pay for the like community aspect. That just doesn't make. And I think that like is speaks to a thing like a greater trend throughout multiple different like entertainment streams is that these public or these things that used to be very public participation type things are becoming increasingly inaccessible. Like even movie prices are kind like very high. Tickets to go see like symphonies or orchestras or or plays are really hard to come by if you're a low-income person and this just doesn't happen in other countries i mean well at least not to this degree like in europe tickets to like the symphony or something like that are are like subsidized a lot so students can go and things like that it's just it i think it's like indicative of an economic system that is failing wasn't trying to get that wow. deep on this podcast. <laughs> okay. But sports I'm just saying. Based on capitalism. You, this is why you can't say sports aren't political because they inherently are, as is everything. So, Nick Saban, Alabama's head coach for those who live under a rock, said in a recent interview that we should be changing the regular season schedule for college football and therefore changing what it takes to make it to the college football playoffs. If I understood him correctly, he's basically arguing that instead of doing those three um, out-of-conference games at the beginning of the season that are basically just meant to boost a team's record because they play your teams usually like UW played Rutgers or something to be fair so this is this is the unclear part about all of this is that the schedules are made like a decade in advance like they're made years in advance so when they scheduled the Rutgers game they probably were a pretty good team like UW was thinking oh we just landed like a really good team to come are you sure they scheduled them that far in advance? Uh, because I thought, then why wouldn't why wouldn't they announce them? We're playing Ohio State in twenty twenty five. Yeah, yeah, that's what. So that's what like the unclear thing was. Like Saban had some good points where he was saying you eliminate six wins to get into a bowl game, and now you can have a different kind of scheduling that has that's more is more interesting to the fans. Which like yes, I agree, but like. I liked the idea of having high-ranked teams play other Power 5 teams. I thought that was really interesting because it brings more competitiveness. Because the thing about college football that I – and he was he pointed out, he was like, they always talk about conferences. Like, oh, this conference is strong this year. This conference is strong this year. And then – but they're never compared to anyone outside their conference, so they really don't know how anyone stacks up. Mm-hmm. And that's – yeah, that's exactly – he was quoted saying – and if you play a really weak team and you win 47, 45 to yeah. 7, you still don't really know if your team's good, which is true. Like, honestly, not going to lie. The beginning of last season, I was like, Dub's actually, like, <laughs> doing this? Like, I was like, oh, no, conference play, like, we're going to have, like, some work cut out. Because you don't know. Like, you play these yeah. teams. I, I like his idea, <laughs> and I think, like, 
a lot of people mm-hmm. could get behind this, but it's just you like to change literally like everything. Like I don't understand how it would work. Yeah, but to be fair, the college football playoffs have never made sense. They have never made sense. I don't understand why it's not just like they don't set it up like he was saying, like the NCAA basketball tournament or more like the NFL playoffs where you have like a wild card or whatever. And then you have like it's more bracket style. Like right now it's like the top four. Like that doesn't make any sense. Because capitalism. The Tostitos Bowl, you, you're not telling me Tostitos wants that money. Bowl games are stupid. Hot take of the year. Gabby <laughs> just texted and said, though it would be nice if one day game didn't kick teams out of the playoffs, the ability for an underdog to take out a strong team is the best part of the playoffs, and this would allow for that to happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah, everyone loves the under. That's why everyone loves March Madness. It's because Cinderella, the Cinderella of the tournament. Yeah, my brackets always get busted because I pick the underdogs and they lose. No, everyone loves an underdog. Yeah, but then when they lose, they suck. Anyway, back to Kyrie. What do you think about players requesting trades? Do you think he's going to be considered a villain in Cleveland now? I mean, I would assume yes. I mean, even, like, Kevin Durant, was he didn't request a trade. His, like, contract was just up. and Even he was considered a villain. So I'm like, Kyrie, I'm a little worried. (laughs) But I mean... Sports fans are so, like, loyal to their team that they don't understand when the players on their team aren't as loyal as they are. Yeah, I but that's a good point. I feel like fans have the same expectation of loyalty for the players that they have for other fans. I mean, think about how it's structured. Players don't go to cities that mean anything to them sometimes. No, look where Mark... Mark wow. <laughs> Guys, I'm done. <laughs> I'm putting these headphones away and I'm walking out. Look where Markel is. Like, look where Kelsey is. Do you think Kelsey really wants to be playing in San Antonio? Right, that's what I'm saying. So they like they could have zero connection to the city that they're playing for. They could be a brand new place. They've never been there. They don't know anyone from there. Don't know the people. Don't know the history. Don't basically care about the city at all. And then they have to go put on a uniform and do their job, which they do, but they don't have the emotional connection that fans have to a team. And I'm sure every player has an emotional connection to a team. Like once they develop, like once they Yeah, once they start playing and like once they've been there for, like I'm I'm sure LeBron had an emotional connection to Miami. He played there for a long time. But I also understand why he wanted to go to Cleveland. Right, because that's where he's from and he had played there before and he wanted to bring them a championship. I get that. And he's selfish and greedy. (laughs) You know, and yeah, and it's like I would argue now Steph Curry has a connection to the Bay just because he's they drafted him and he's been there for so long and they've done well, obviously, and the fans love him, but he still loves North Carolina. Like, I'm sure it would be cool for him to play for the what are they? The the Charlotte Hornets? Yes. That I was gonna say familiar. North Carolina has they a used team? to be they used to be something else and then I think they switched back to the Hornets. I, I could be wrong. Yeah, like that would be cool for him, I'm sure, because that's where he's from. But anyway, I feel like I just got off topic. I lost my train of thought. So, like, I think the bottom line is sports fans are annoying because they don't understand how things work. They just don't know how to put things in perspective. It's like, and I say this as a sports fan. <laughs> like, I too sometimes, like during the during the game five of the NBA Finals. I was like, you're being ridiculous right now. Like, the amount of emotional, or game four, 
really is when I realized it, like how upset I was when they lost game four and didn't sweep the Cavs. I was like, you're being the stupidest right now. But like, this is not that important to you. Like, in the grand you scheme need of to life. relax. But I was so upset. I was really upset and I was kind of in a bad mood for the rest of that, like until the next game. Basically. But I mean, like, sometimes it's warranted, like, when the Seahawks lost their first Super Bowl because the refs were paid off. Like, that, okay, like... Okay, that's that not <laughs> So let's not say that like it's a fact. <laughs> they just don't have... I, I feel like fans, and I'm guilty of it, too, just don't... They don't have perspective. Thank you for listening to Play Like a Girl. You can check out more podcasts at uwpodcast.com and you can follow us on Twitter at uwplaylikeagirl. You can also follow all the hosts on Twitter. Our uh, handles will be in the bio below. You can follow The Daily on Twitter at uwdaily and follow the sports section at uwdailysports. You can also find all the sports updates on the website at dailyuw.com backslash sports. And if you tweet us on Twitter, please use the hashtag UWPLAG. Everything is caps except for the A. If you have comments, questions, or concerns, you can email them to podcast at dailyudub.com. And Play Like a Girl is hosted by Alexis Mancineras and produced by Alex Bruel.